one of our most basic human needs is companionship. And the woman you are about to meet has spent her young life providing it any way she can. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. In the spotlight, a woman who grew up on a family compound in rural Connecticut. Once a working farm, the land had been in the family for over a hundred years. And in the humble makeshift home at the center of this compound lived her grandmother, whom she called Meme. And Meme lived to be 95, surrounded by generations of people she loved. It was on this family compound where today's featured guest learned some of her greatest life lessons about the elderly, about community, and about companionship. This experience triggered something inside of her, and she pursued a BA in gerontology and an MBA in healthcare management from Quinnipiac University. And then she entered the Peace Corps, working in Ethiopia, where she watched the people keep their elderly close, surrounding them in multi-generational family homes until the day they die. She is a member of the AARP Massachusetts Task Force to end loneliness and to build community. She's also the co-chair of the task force's intergenerational subcommittee. As the executive director of LBFE, which stands for Little Brothers, Friends of the Elderly, she is devoted to the mission of building communities and friendships between the old and the young. Her name is Nikki Schultz. And this is her story. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. Nice to be here. I got to hear all about Meme. She lived on this family compound. Tell me what she was like. Meme was a special person. She was the matriarch of our family. My grandfather had passed away when my mother was young. And so she was on her own for so long. But she was strong. She was inspiring. She was the center of the family. So the land that we grew up on, Meme's house was in the middle. She lived in this, it was supposed to be a temporary structure. My grandparents were farmers, and at one point the story is that the farmhouse burned down and they created this temporary structure until the farm was rebuilt. Sadly, my grandfather passed away, so she lived in this temporary structure where where my uncles and my mom were raised and grew up. And around them, Uncle Bill was on one side, Uncle Joe was on the other. My mom's house was across the street. Actually, now my sister lives next door. But Meme was always in the middle, and that was where family gatherings happened, even in this tiny temporary home. Her card table was where everything happened in our family. You know, you've told me before we started rolling tape here that cards were a big part of your relationship with your Meme. Oh, yeah. So... Probably around the same time that I learned how to count, my grandmother taught me how to play cards. One of the first games she taught me, like other than like Old Maid and Go Fish, was how to play poker. And she also taught me that it wasn't worth playing unless there was something on the table. So my sister and I had these old margarine, uh, like those plastic margarine dishes filled with pennies, and we kept them in a drawer in her bedroom. So we'd come over and we'd say, hey, Mama, you want to play cards? We run over and get our pennies and start stacking them out. And from there, you know, we, we played a lot of pitch as a family. We played a lot of cribbage. Pretty much everything in between. Sometimes she'd make up games, and halfway through, she'd be like, I don't know where to go from here and just kind of <laughs> give up. But that's where... The family happened, and she was very hard of hearing, so it was something that we could all do together, and she could participate fully. You were so fortunate to have a woman like her in your life. And it's interesting. Many of the women that we feature on the show point to one person 
who always believed in them. You're smiling. Is that who she was for you? She was an older meme. Uh, she passed away, actually, the morning of my high school graduation, but she was 95. So she was an older grandmother. So unfortunately, you know, I didn't have her through college and through adulthood. I don't know. She was my buddy. She was one of my best friends, and she was uh, always there, always ready to play a game or, you know, just watch the Price is Right or Wheel of Fortune. You know, I think you also learned about companionship for someone who's aging. And I have in my notes that you would run away to your meme sometimes, and she would say things to you like, you're my favorite pal. What were the lessons that she taught you about life? Family is everything. And as I said, she lived in this temporary home for decades. She was widowed for decades. But she was surrounded by family, and she was never lonely. She built community. She was always provided a safe place to be. And, you know, I think of my life now, personally and professionally, what means the most to me is building communities for people, finding space for the lonely or people that maybe have a harder time reaching out and just creating those spaces, those safe spaces that Meme created for me. Let's go ahead and focus on LBFE Boston, Little Brothers Friends of the Elderly. This charity has been around for a long time. What's the mission? Yeah, so we're actually celebrating our 43rd anniversary this year, and the mission is to relieve isolation and loneliness among older adults. When you got there, you made a shift under your guidance. The organization pivoted from a one-on-one older adult visiting program to the current model, which is based on your favorite, intergenerational programming. Tell us how it works. As you said, they're intergenerational in nature, and they're very community-based. So we have community partners at public and affordable senior housing buildings. So these are apartment buildings where folks live independently, and it's for generally 55 plus. And we bring college and university students, both local, international, and they come on a weekly basis. And they're small groups. There's a handful of students and maybe 10 to 15 older adults. And the same people get together every week. And we have several different programs, but really what they do together is based on what the older and younger people are interested in and what they have to share with each other and what they want to learn or want to do together. There's a certain magic that happens between the old and the young. Each generation has so much to offer each other, and they don't necessarily realize it. We have pre- and post-surveys of everyone, and in the beginning, both the older and the younger have these attitudes like, oh, I don't know what we're going to talk about. I don't know that we have anything in common. I'm here to just try something out and maybe do do the other one a favor. One of my favorite comments we've gotten from a student was, I just realized they were just people. As simple as that. We're all just people. We're all looking for the same thing. We all want companionship and friendship and people in our lives and to engage with our community. And there was a report in 2019, so even before the pandemic, published by Cigna, and it was on loneliness. And they found that the loneliest generation is actually Gen Z. followed by the older generation for many different reasons. This could be its own conversation, why these two generations have higher levels of reported loneliness. But they need each other, and they have something to offer. And there's mentorship opportunities and ability to teach and learn from each other and to just spend time together. It's safety in having a friend that's so different than you and on an opposite age spectrum that you can just be yourself. Why is Gen Z so lonely? I'd be silly not to ask you that. A lot of it has to do with technology. You know, technology does a great job of bringing us together, but it also does a great job of alienating us and 
judging ourselves based on everyone else's perceived happiness and what you think other people's lives are. I don't remember what study this was, but it was years ago that I saw it, that 2007, the, the year the iPhone came out, there was like a big spike in loneliness. Ever since then, there are fluctuations, but technology is the driving factor of, you know, again, it's a great tool to stay connected, but it's also a real challenge. I remember as my father was declining and he was very, very sick, he had a deep need to tell his stories. He was a World War II veteran and he would sit down and wax fantastic in great detail about what it was like and how cold it was to sit in a foxhole in France, to go into Germany and be terrified as a young 18-year-old man. I guess the thing is that I learned from him was we want to know that our lives mattered in some way. And our stories make those things live on. And I think that's where these relationships come into play, right? These older people need to share their stories with somebody. And even what you're doing here and collecting people's stories and allowing me to tell my story, it, it means a lot to people. And it means something to have a record of your life and a record of what you've done and what you contributed and what your role was on this earth while you were here. And... You were saying towards the end of his life, your father just wanted to tell a story. There's many instances that, just for example, this past winter, I was at my in-law's house, and we were talking about my husband's grandfather, who has since passed away. And his father was saying that he never heard those stories from his dad of World War II. And years later, my brother-in-law was speaking to him, and you know the, the story was like, oh, your dad never asked about this. I really want to tell this story. And you were asking what's important about the younger and older generation. Sometimes time needs to pass before those stories can be told, before someone's ready to tell that story, and that the younger generation is, is there to pick it up, and they're on the ready to absorb it and to learn it and to share it. Nikki, the pandemic comes along and our elderly were even more isolated than ever before. And the virus was something that they were so terrified of because it was targeted toward their health as well, so much more so than younger people. How did LBFE Boston comfort and connect with its clients during that tough time? Those were a rough two years and they continue to be a challenging time. The biggest thing that we did, I'm going to con contradict myself now, so we brought in technology. <laughs> uh, hey, you do what you got to do, right? <laughs> it's also a good tool to connect. It just can't be the only way to connect. We had a great donation from the city of Boston through the Age Strong Commission of 100 tablets with prepaid data plans. And our mission was to continue to have our intergenerational programs bringing older and younger people together to ease that loneliness that's you know always been there and is now exacerbated by the pandemic. So we got these 100 tablets out. And we started working in the digital divide space and digital equity. So for the first few months, it was really teaching folks how to use these tablets, how to get on Zoom, what Zoom is. And slowly, as the comfort level increased, those relationships started to form again. And uh, one of the programs that older adults really got into was, and the younger people too, everyone got into show and tell because from being in your home, you're able to be like, oh, this is uh, this is a mug that I got from this great podcast that I was on. <laughs> and then you get to tell that story that's triggered by a, an item or an artifact in your home. And, and from there, we've, you know, we're back in person, we're doing in-person programming again, but the digital equity piece is something that the organization has 
really taken on as a challenge is that you know, during the pandemic, it became a real issue that a lot of older adults did not have access to technology. And access means access to the device, high-speed internet, or even the, the ability to use it. So we launched a new program last fall in response to the pandemic. We just finished our pilot year, and it's growing this fall, called Digital Dividends, where we provide it in public senior housing classes of 10 to 15 older adults. We give them a Chromebook that they're able to keep. And we provide hotspots with unlimited data plans for the duration of the program. And then our students come in on a weekly basis and they provide support in, in learning and classes. And throughout the year, we're hearing from older adults that it's not so scary anymore. They have someone to help teach them, even folks that might have had a laptop but never turned it on or never used it because they didn't know how, is starting to break down that digital divide. And that's so empowering, isn't it? If what you're hearing Nikki say sounds interesting and you might even want to make a donation to a great organization, just go to lbfeboston.org. You know, we talked about your meme when we first sat down to talk to one another. And this whole idea of intergenerational programming has been hardwired in you for a very long time. You were part of the Peace Corps and it gave you an opportunity to travel around the world. Was it life changing? And what did you learn as being part of the broader world? Yeah, the Peace Corps was kind of the sidestep for me. It was something that I had always wanted to do. I traveled a lot growing up. My parents are avid travelers. And I always wanted to combine service with travel. I joined the Peace Corps. And it, like I said, it was really kind of a sidestep. I went. I, I knew since I was a teenager that I wanted to work with older adults. I went to school for gerontology and continued uh, on my MBA. And then I joined the Peace Corps for a few years until coming home and finding my first love of older adults again. But it was, I always call it the best and worst three and a half years of my life. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the world. I learned a lot about myself um, and volunteerism and the role of government in international development. But I think when I think back to Peace Corps, you know, with my rose-tinted glasses, now that it's, a, you know, 10 years behind me and a little bit uh, easier to reflect on, back to that community piece. And what I remember is not necessarily my house that I lived in or the job that I did, but it's the people. And I still have several Ethiopian friends that I'm in touch with and many of my Peace Corps friends that I'm in touch with and the strength of community both in the village that I lived in and within the volunteers and how you gather strength from the people around you. And so if there was one way that that connects to my life now, it's that power of community and being together. Let's talk a little bit about what it was like to be in Ethiopia. What was your mission? What did you do there? And what did you learn from these people? My role there was a health economic development advisor. But if you know anyone in the Peace Corps, that your role, your title really doesn't matter. I was in the health program, and you get assigned a village or a town that you're going to live in. You do three months of training. Then you get sent on a bus, and you figure it out. You meet people. You learn what the community assets are. You learn what people want for their community, and you try your best to make it happen with them. What I learned is that you don't need a lot of things to be happy. You don't need to spend 60 hours work at week. You can stop and have tea with a friend you run into on the way to the office. Sometimes community meetings or dinner with your neighbor is work. Part of our mission was to you know, have this cross-cultural understanding of Americans part of Ethiopians and Ethiopians part of Americans. And sometimes just being together was serving the mission and was doing the work. What did you learn about the family structure 
and how elders are treated in Ethiopia versus here, what your knowledge of it is here in the United States. This is something that I think the United States doesn't get right and can learn from other cultures. In Ethiopia and in many other countries, there are multi-generational households, multi-generational families, and that when you grow old, you expect that you will continue to live at home with your family, with your kids, with your grandkids, and that's just how it is. Here, it's like, this is where older people live, this is for everyone else, but it's really truly integrated. I mean, sadly, the life expectancy isn't as long, so those family relationships don't last as long in Ethiopia, but they're there. And it's something that, you know, we see at LBFE with a lot of the immigrants that we work with is that this is not how they expected to age. This is not what they expected the final decade, decades of their lives to be. Um, and, and that's hard for a lot of people. And I understand it, it's hard even if you are expecting that's what the end is going to be like. In a lot of ways, you know, the Peace Corps is to, to bring skilled men and women into other countries, but there are lessons to be learned overseas too. That's something that I think that we can do better and that Ethiopians do better for sure. You know, you've had a chance to talk to so many older people about their life experiences, to spend time with them. Is there a theme to what they tell you? Is there a part of their story that seems to resonate one to the other to the other about life? Last semester, we had some students doing a memoir project, and I had the opportunity to read them. And between that and the relationships I've had with older people, I think what comes through over and over again that really resonates with me personally is the sooner you learn to be your most authentic self, the sooner you stop caring what everyone else thinks so much is when your life begins is when you can truly be happy. It's like if you live life as who you truly are, that's what will make you happy. That's what will make your relationships better. And as I'm getting older, I'm starting to learn that lesson. And, you know, you have to hear it a million times before you believe it. And I just hit a place in my life. I'm 35. I just hit a place. I was like, you know what? kind of looking forward to 40. I think the world is meant for for middle-aged folks, and I'm finding that I'm caring less and less as I get older, and it feels good, and I feel like myself, and that's something that, again, I've been told millions of times by older people, and starting to sink in. Wisdom is a powerful thing, isn't it? Specific to your organization, let me ask, what are your goals? What are your hopes for LBFE Boston? Our goals for the next few years is to really be in every neighborhood of Boston. We want to bring intergenerational friendships into dozens of affordable and public senior housing and senior centers across the city. And we want to bring our City Sites program, that is um, the, the social activities, our digital dividends program, which is our digital equity program, and Creative Connections, which is where we bring in local artists to teach classes. We want to bring in these programs into every affordable senior housing building. And we really want to be able to mirror the opportunities for engagement, for learning, for growth, for artistic ambitions that people find in market rate senior housing. Next couple questions we ask everybody who sits where you are today. And thank you again, Nikki, for sharing your story with us. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I like to take a step back and think about things for a while. Sleep on it and try not to act on the gut impulse. And I like to get advice from people. I'm a pretty transparent person. My husband always tells me that I can't keep a secret and that, you know, if I have anything to say, I'm just going to say it out loud. So I guess relying on the people around me to help either just hear me out and let me think out loud or to, to get advice and to you know, 
group decision-making. Speaking of advice, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received? And this can be personal. It can be professional. This is kind of funny. My sister and I make fun of this for my mom all the time, but it might actually be the best piece of advice. My mom always says, it is what it is. And again, it's another thing that you hear all the time, and it kind of loses meaning at some point. But when I think of all the most difficult parts of my life to date and challenging moments and tough situations, and I hear this from older adults too, you kind of just have to accept what's happening. There are some things you can't change. There are things that are going to happen no matter how you react. So you might as well just accept it, do what you can, and and move on. Final question for you. At this moment and in this chapter of your life, at the ripe old age of 35, what does success mean to you, Nikki? Having meaningful work, being proud of what I do, making the world a little bit better in my corner, and you know, having the privilege and honor to be surrounded by good people. I have great family support. I have a great group of friends. I belong to a ski club that's really, really supportive. My staff, they're the best. I feel like I work with my friends. And that's success to me. I'm happy. I have hobbies. I like the people I work with. I think I put some good out into the world and living my values and what's important to me. I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. That's Nikki Schultz, and that's the story behind her success. To find out more about LBFE Boston, just go to lbfeboston.org. My thanks to Executive Director Nikki Schultz for sharing her story with us today. I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you have someone in mind, will you please let me know about her? Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. Give the show a follow on your favorite podcast platform. And please tell your friends and your family about the show. Leave a review if you would be so kind. And I will have a new inspiring story for you next week. When we share our stories, no matter where we are in this great big world, we provide a roadmap toward success. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.